Welcome to CMU Now. This is our Faculty Friday podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with my co-host, Caitlin Birdsall. And we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University Associate Professor of Mechanical Engineering, Sarah Lancey. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great you're, you're here today. Um, I've been looking forward to this because you are in our engineering program. And it every time I talk to students about what they're doing, they're always thrilled and excited and have so much energy. Can you kind of give a little background on the the program and what the students at CMU are working on? Yeah, we have a number of different programs within engineering, and um, we have a partnership with CU Boulder. So through that partnership, we offer a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical, Civil, and Electrical and Computer Engineering. And then through CMU, we have a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering Technology. And the biggest highlight for all of those programs is that we get our students to delve into these projects and get their hands dirty, tackle application and figure out why we're teaching what we're teaching and how it relates to the bigger world. Um, And I think that we have small enough class sizes that we get to incorporate projects even in the lecture-based classes, but we really just get to you know, pique their curiosity and encourage them to start asking those questions and see why they're learning what we're teaching them. Great. So you are obviously a woman and a woman in engineering in a STEM field. And, you know, I think there's been over the last couple of years, a greater push to get younger girls and women involved in more of these science-based programs and fields. But for you, it happened really naturally. It wasn't something where you're like, I'm a woman and I'm going to become an engineer. Um, Can you talk to us about what got you interested in engineering and what made you want to pursue it as a profession? Yeah, it definitely wasn't this thing that I knew I was doing. Uh, My dad was an engineer and he, it actually is funny, it wasn't until halfway into my college degree that I realized that he and I studied the same topic. He just really didn't tell me, this is what I did and this is what you should do. My mom was an artist and she taught art in elementary and then middle school and then high school. And so it really was just this way of life. We would go on backpacking trips in the summer and you know, why are the backpacks designed the way they are? And my dad taught us how to kayak and we'd study the whole design and drag and see why skis were designed the way they were for powder conditions versus racing conditions. And so I really just grew up analyzing, but it it wasn't this intentional thing. It's just how we were raised and it's how we grew up looking at the world. And engineering seemed like this natural career to go into. And so I went into college and thought I wanted to do computer engineering until I saw everybody sitting at computers. It's like, I can't do that. Um, And so I was just undeclared engineering for a while and then ended up in an introduction to material science class. And it was everything. It was just enough chemistry and just enough math and just enough physics. And I, it was the first textbook that I actually enjoyed reading, which sounds really nerdy, but I loved it so much. And so that really set my trajectory into material science and engineering. And then I was able to kind of fine tune that into the study of metals. And then that's where I went to grad school, got my master's degree in metallurgical engineering. But uh, it's really great because I get to teach the introductory class here that sparked my uh, my interest in, in my own college degree. So you mentioned metallur- metallurgical engineering. Yep. Got it. So for those of us that are maybe not as 
in-depth in the engineering world. Break that down for us. What exactly does that mean? I mean, obviously, it has to deal with metals and science and chemistry. And I get that basic principle. But what does it really mean if you can explain it to somebody who would have no idea? Yeah, so we we look at science as the study of the world around us. You know, observation, we run experiments, we collect data. Engineering is really this application of the science. What can we do with this knowledge? How can we manipulate things to solve a problem? And so metallurgical engineering is the study of the metals and then the engineering of these metals to meet specific needs. So somebody could design a high temperature alloy for use in the hot section of a jet engine. Or you could say, a, you know, I don't know, maybe... Um, Oh gosh, I'm blanking on another example. Um, we have we have steel all around us in bridges and buildings, um, but steel's heavy. So how could we develop a new material uh, that's lighter? Let's say aluminum, but aluminum's really weak. It can bend really easy. So what could we do to the aluminum so that we can make it stronger? while benefiting from that lightweightness. And that's that's actually aluminum's used in all kinds of structural applications and aircraft applications because engineers figured out how to make it strong while maintaining its lightweight um, properties. And I love that because, you know, we go about our day and for somebody who's not from an engineering background, like you don't think about that. I don't think about that the building that we're in right now, all of the science and brilliant minds that went into building the materials that are in just this one building alone, let alone all of the applications throughout the world. So it's always interesting to me to get to talk about that. Well, I was just thinking that too, because we interviewed another faculty member in um, from the geosciences department. And she was talking about how, you know, she would take these road trips as a kid and she would drive on the on, on the East Coast from one place to the next and notice how the mountains would change. And that her curiosity there you know, brought her to the geosciences world. And then you were talking about backpacking with your with your family and how you thought, wait, how is this backpack made? Whereas, you know, for myself, I maybe would think, um, you know, why does this person think that way? Like what's happening in their brain? And so it's really fun to think about how we all see the world differently. And I'm I'm curious to see what you think about having or the importance of having different points of view and different people with different types of background in STEM and mechanical engineering? Well, our population is, you know, half women, half men, and we have this huge amount of diversity within those populations. And we want all of those perspectives so that we can recognize the problems that we have in our society and then engineer the solutions. Um, we need we need that group so that we can make sure that we're covering all the issues and then coming up with the best solutions for those problems. So I always like to hear from our faculty members about what you did before you came here to CMU, before you started teaching our brilliant students that we have here, because I feel like the industry experience kind of spans across all fields and genres and states. And so I always find it really interesting to hear what faculty members did before they came to teach. So what about you? Yeah, academia was not my end goal. I kind of happened into this, and it was this fantastic accident um, with a little bit of intention. Um, so I got my my bachelor's in material science and engineering, and then my master's in metallurgical engineering. And from there, I went and worked for a company in Portland, Oregon, and they made parts for jet engines. So it was a, a casting company where we would melt these metals, pour them into these molds, um, 
we would make the molds with wax. This is a, basically a lost wax process, like ancient Egyptians would use this for jewelry. But you make the part out of wax, you coat it with essentially a plaster, and then you can melt the wax out and then pour the metal in, break the plaster away, cut off the feeding system for the metal, and then you can repair any defects that are repairable, and then send that off to the customer. So our customers were these um, original equipment manufacturers like Boeing and Pratt Whitney and Rolls Royce, and they made the engine. So they would send us these models and we would make the parts that they would then assemble. And so I wasn't designing the metals, but I was uh, hired as a process control engineer to track these parts through this process and figure out where are the defects coming from? How can we make them better? How can we make the parts higher quality? How can we do it cheaper? How can we reduce the scrap? And um, generally, how can we just deliver a great product on time at a reasonable cost? And it wasn't, you know, I use more statistics than I ever thought I would use. So I tell my students, no, persist through the classes. It will, it'll matter later. Um, but it was a, a really interesting experience getting to you know, figure out how does a big company work? What's my role in that? Um, and it gave me a lot of insight to now share with my students. But we ended up moving just I wanted to get out of the rain and get to drier climate, get closer to family. So we settled in Grand Junction. And I found an ad in the newspaper for an adjunct lecturer and applied, thinking like well, this is a it's a long shot. And they hired me, and then um, I applied for a full time position, and they hired me for that. And now I've been here for um, starting my eighth year, and I love this job so much. And so I get to teach these students why these classes matter. I get to pull from that experience that I had in Oregon and say. Yes, yes, this is really important information. And in fact, let's take this one step further and get this other information and put these together so that you can go solve this problem that you might not even know exists. I mean, the world's a big place and there's a lot out there to still be solved. So you've been here for eight years. I know Go Baby Go has been on campus for six years. Um, it's a project where students are heavily involved. And can you talk about that? And what does it mean for, for the students? So Go Baby Go is a program that started at the University of Delaware, I think in 2009. And the intent is to make some small engineering modifications to these little electric ride-on cars so that kids with limited mobility can have independent mobility and a form of sociability. They can interact with their world under their own control rather than having a parent push them in a wheelchair or a walker or have a sibling takeover because they get overexcited. Um, but to, to really give these children the gift to move on their own and explore with their world. And this has been such a great project for CMU students and engineering students in particular because they see this human element where they're not just going through textbook examples and deriving equations and solving these problems on paper, they're actually seeing that they can change a child's life, change a family's life through these real small little modifications. And so it's been a great program that these students make these modifications. They rewire the foot pedal to a hand accessed button and add some physical support so that the child's secure in that little car. And then they get to see them drive off. I, I think that's amazing because I, a big part of um, the sciences, you know, it's not just about how to build something, it's why you're building it. And so this sounds like it's a real world example as to, to, to implementing the two. That's a really great way to say that. It is, it, yeah, the why is 
a big question. And I th- I ask students all the time, you know, why are you in engineering? And often they're like, I don't know, I'm good at math. I'm like, that's fine. That's a great reason. And a lot of them are saying, well, it's a good paycheck, probably. I'm like, that's also true. But to think how how can you really change the world? Because all of you can change the world. You can solve one problem that'll impact one person's life. And you you did it. You've changed something. And if you can think of how to do that on a bigger scale, then obviously the impact's that much bigger. But it's this Go Baby Go is just a great little introductory project to say you can learn these new skills and you can change someone's life. So this is kind of a big question, and I don't know if you'll quite have an answer for it, but talking about changing the world, there's been a lot of engineering feats that have changed our world. What, in your opinion, is maybe one of the biggest or most important engineering accomplishments or feats in our time? It's a really big question. That is a big question, and there have been some big accomplishments. But I think the biggest... And the one that I find the most important is the access to knowledge to young kids, girls, boys alike. They have access to 3D printer kits and science discovery kits and clubs and just these activities that they can get involved in. Um, Mesa County has or District 51 has the uh, Rocky Mountain Mesa, the math, engineering, science and achievement group. And they just get kids to look at problems and think critically and explore solutions and design and really blend this math with the creativity, with the communicating their their solution and bring all of these skills together. But at such a young age so that they don't ever have to run into the roadblock of, well, that's really hard. Are you sure you want to do that? They've just been exposed to it. It's just been their way of life. So I think the easy access to science and technology to, for kids has really been one of the greatest advancements that I think we've made recently. I love that you went there because I had this question that was burning in my mind and I wanted to ask you, but it's sort of a, a maybe a challenging question, but it has to do with, um, you know, developing children and, and shaping them into the people they're going to be. And I'm curious, uh, are it's obvious that women in women engineers, there's there's less of them than men. And so I'm I'm thinking, is it possible that it's the the way we talk to our children, it's the toys that we give them, it's the the access point that maybe is lacking? Or is it women aren't I don't I don't I can't believe this is true that women just aren't as interested in math. But what I'd like to hear your opinion about that. I think a lot of it is that they're Well, women are better at reading facial expressions, and they're more in tune with people's emotions. I can't cite sources for that, but women are better at reading people. And I think that that natural ability does drive career choices often. But I think that if parents, educators people in the community saw kids interacting with their world and instead of just brushing it off and saying, well, I don't know the answer to that. You know, you know, why is the sky blue or why does that boat float? Just say, I don't know, but let's run an experiment and figure out if we can find the answer or let's go look it up in the library and kind of have this let's do it together mindset so that the kid isn't just dismissed 
they're encouraged to look up the answer and it shows a little bit of vulnerability. Nobody has all the answers. And if we can show the kids that that's okay, then we're giving them the confidence to say, I don't know, but I know where to go start and where to go maybe look into that answer. Um, I have two girls. <laughs> one is almost eight and the other one is five. And it's really interesting seeing how different they are. The um, almost eight-year-old builds these contraptions. Like, I may not survive this child, but they, it's just crazy to look at how her brain works. And she is tying things together and making these pulleys and setting up these traps and really interacting with her world very differently than my other daughter. And it's not to say my other daughter isn't mechanically inclined. She's just more in tune with emotions and how other people are feeling um, and with you know, her dresses, <laughs> pretty sparkly things. And so I'm trying to approach both of them equally and be interested in, in what they're interested, but also encourage them to explore different abilities, different interests in the hopes that whatever they want to do, they felt secure in those choices and they felt supported in those choices. So to circle back the really long answer to your question, I think that we need evidence. We need evidence so that girls can look at parents or look at their educators or look in movies and on YouTube videos and say, well, she did it. Oh, and if she did it, I can do it. And there, there's a school back east that saw they had really low numbers in their mechanical engineering department. So they put this concerted effort in. They made sure that women were in photographs. They made sure to hire female faculty. And they were able to actually boost their numbers to 50% female, 50% male in mechanical engineering. That's historically really low. I'd say 20% normally. And their whole goal was to just see that evidence so that incoming freshmen could say, oh, I can do it too. I see that there. So I think we need more of that evidence assertion so that young girls can not have any reason to doubt that they belong. So I was going to say, I think um, what I love too about our faculty here at CMU is you all are in the classroom. You're teaching these students. You've talked about that's, you know, one of your favorite parts of what you get to do. But along with that, you get to do some research and you bring students into that. And I know you've talked about the Go Baby Go event that we do every year and how we get students, not only engineering students, but there's students from our health sciences, from our business departments. Are there any other projects that kind of stick out to you as far as research that you wanted to talk about? So I had a great opportunity to partner with some faculty from some other universities and look into makerspaces and what students are learning in makerspaces. Do they feel like they belong? What do they see the purpose of a makerspace being? And there's portions of an engineering identity that are tied to participation in those spaces. Um, you know, there's always the joke of like the kids that take the radio or the TV or the phone apart. They're the tinkerers and they're like, you're meant to be an engineer. Um, makerspaces foster a lot of the tinkering, but makerspaces also can foster a sense of community. And so to go back to that, that point of belonging, if students feel like they belong, they're more likely to persist. And so we're looking at how we can build you know, maybe not a formal makerspace, but build more of a community within our department related to just open design work, prototyping, troubleshooting, problem solving, and really trying to get students together so that they feel like they belong and they're more willing to persist in their class 
through this this troubleshooting process that they'll go through with their projects. Uh, another project I worked on that's ongoing, um, or at the very beginning of it, is to look at additive manufacturing. So machining processes are subtractive manufacturing. You're cutting away material. But then we have additive manufacturing where you're adding the material layer by layer. This is your 3D printing. And the additive manufacturing with metals is really, really fascinating to me <laughs> and, um, in that you learn you're trying to study how these metal particles can be bonded together differently. Um, so you can have a laser that will scan onto a bed of powder and bond those little powder particles together. Um, you could melt them together, or you could shoot the powder particles out with the laser and build a part up layer by layer. And so I wanted to look at, um, these are expensive processes, expensive pieces of equipment, but if we tried to make it as cheaply as possible, is there a difference between the, the print direction? If I print it apart vertically, print it apart angled horizontally, or print it apart if it was um, at a diagonal, and saw, you know, see, tried to see if there was any effect in the strength of it, the stiffness of it, um, how much it could bend. And so I, on a limited budget, was able to purchase some little compression samples. So we squished them together instead of trying to pull them apart and uh, ended up maxing out our piece of equipment, our test equipment in Confluence Hall. But that's OK. No results are still results. Um, they're really strong. So now I want to pursue additional testing on the, along those lines. Sounds like what you work on a lot has to do with um, sparking curiosity in people and 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 giving giving young individuals the option to to figure stuff out on their own. And it's not saying, "Hey, here is the solution. Here is here's how you do it." It's, "Hey, you ha what's your question? Okay, let's find out how to get there." Which Absolutely. I think is really neat. Yeah, I actually, so many students start, they're like, this is probably a dumb question. And so as cliche as it is, I say, there's no stupid questions. Please ask. And I must say, say it loud because guaranteed somebody else has the same question. But I want them to ask why. I want them to challenge me. I by no means know everything. And I want them to take what they're learning in class and then go out in their world and say, is that why there's a crack in the sidewalk? Or is that why my water bottle dents when I drop it? Or is this why, you know, this huge bridge constantly has people painting it? <laughs> Just these really weird observations, but then to say, well, but why, why is that the way it is? And then I want them to push and ask their classmates and engage in conversations and honestly go down that rabbit hole at YouTube and look at these videos and just send me the link and say, I saw this. It related to class. I just thought it was so cool. I, if they can engage with their world and just think that things are cool, they're more likely to go and ask why. So I just want to foster that curiosity and really get them to want to know more. So we've covered a lot today, and it's been really interesting conversation for me as somebody who's not well-versed in all things engineering. Um, I'd be curious to know, what do you think is a misconception of kind of the general population about engineering, or what's something about engineering as a field that would surprise people? I think there's a lot of stereotypes, and I think a lot are true. Um, you, you need to understand math, but I want to encourage anybody who doesn't love it to know that you can still be an engineer. You just need to know how to use the right type of math at the right time to solve the problem. But there's so much more to engineering than just the math. And I want to encourage people who really like writing to pursue engineering. It's 
you have to communicate your ideas. And I'd actually say that the communication classes are probably the most important ones in any degree. So if you can't communicate your idea, nobody can understand your, your solution. And then I also think that a misconception of the introverted engineer is changing. I think our students are incredibly outgoing and incredibly talkative and they're so smart. And we have this great generation that's coming up who can talk to people and can talk to people in a really engaging way. And they're going to be able to communicate ideas so much better than the engineers of, you know, 50 years ago. And so I'm really excited to see where this generation takes us with their ability to communicate, their knowledge of social media, being able to share ideas, um, and then, you know, hopefully see this field increase in diversity so that we can see all those perspectives and um, have them be shared. Misconception that I have is I'm a millennial and I feel like one day everyone was becoming an engineer. Is that true? Or are there were there so many more jobs that just landed or were created and that's why there was an increase in demand? Or was there not an increase? And I'm just making this up. There's a huge increase. And it's because we have all these new pieces of technology. We have all these new phones and these new computers and these smart watches and these new buildings and this space race has incredible engineering feats associated with it. So there's just a a lot of need for people to figure this stuff out. Uh, The world of robotics is, is growing in military applications, but also just medical fields um, and manufacturing lines. So how can we how, how can we get more of this technology out to the people who need it? We need engineers to design it and manufacture it. Well, great. Sarah Lancy, it has been wonderful talking to you today. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you for joining us. This is a CMU Now Faculty Friday feature. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.